Right now on Amplified, we're about to learn about supplying something as basic as water to a rapidly growing population. We're crying out for engineers at the moment, so we, we have a huge recruitment program going on. There's a lot of people approaching retirement. So we need a new batch of, of people coming through to learn from the existing people, but also take over you know, the operations and the, the construction of those sites. So yeah, we need graduates, we need young engineers who with a few years experience and, and even more senior engineers. So across the board, we're looking for for engineers. Uh, there's a lot of hiring going on in our, in our industry. Hello there, my name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast. Water infrastructure is a hugely important sector here in Ireland and it has many challenges on the horizon, including everything from climate change to infrastructure demand. Today we're finding out more about the future of that water infrastructure and where engineers will play a crucial role in ensuring its success. To tell us more is a man at the centre of the industry. His engineering degree from DIT brought him huge experience on massive projects in Ireland, the UK and Asia. He's also held many senior leadership roles with world-leading infrastructure companies and we're proud to say that he is a fellow of Engineers Ireland. I'm delighted to welcome the CEO of Ishka Aaron, Niall Gleeson. How are you, Niall? Hey, Dusty. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Listen, I want to chat about the problems that we're facing in Ireland with water and where Ishka Aaron sits in that mix. And of course, the role that engineers have in solving the problems we face. But first, tell us a little bit about your, your own career. You, you've worked on some fairly, very substantial infrastructure projects abroad. What would you say are the highlights? Yeah, I, I started my, the real start of my career was when I joined General Electric, who every year back in the sort of 80s and 90s, they hired about 15 to 20 Irish engineers when we were cheap and plentiful, you know. And, and we travelled all over the world installing power plants uh, and equipment for General Electric. So a fantastic job in coming out of 80s Ireland. It was, you know, huge opportunity and got to see Alaska, got to see Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia, China so and uh, Thailand. So worked in all those countries and, and it was a, a fascinating job. So I don't know, is there one particular one? I suppose one that brings to mind is actually back in the UK, we had a a major project and uh, the equipment failed. I mean, these were large 100 ton rotors spinning at 3000 RPM and uh, they started to lose bolts. And that whole program of, you know, it was an innovation that let the innovation on that equipment meant that they were under severe pressure and severe stress and the design didn't work. But the whole program around, you know, retrofitting those and fixing it was fascinating. We were at one stage flying rotors across the Atlantic on Antonov aircraft to get them repaired quickly enough. So, yeah, a good sense of scale. I suppose as well, back in those days, there was no email, no mobile phones. So you became pretty resilient and became pretty good at adapting and dealing with ambiguity and, you know, having to make decisions yourself in the middle of China when you couldn't get an answer and you couldn't just download the solution off the internet or get pick something off email. So it made you a lot more resilient and a lot more thinking for yourself, you know. G- give me an example of that, being in the middle of nowhere and needing something massive and having to have it here tomorrow. I do remember in, I was on the co- off the coast of Venezuela on a project and it was one of the early new technology, but we were still dialing up at 1200 baud rate. I don't know if I ever remember doing that and you heard the little binkly noises and all that kind of stuff. So I downloaded a patch for the software, which took about eight hours to download on a phone line. And the phone bill was around $800, I think, you know what I mean? So, uh, but we it saved us a couple of weeks waiting for a CD to arrive from uh, 
from the States with this. So one of the first patches downloaded, I would I would like to claim, you know. <laughs> and what kind of traits do you think that your engineer training, you know, kind of helped you with all of the, this? I, I think certainly the, you know, the problem solving is, you know, you really, that's one of the big things that engineers, I mean, they're in demand, not just for engineering trades, but banking, all that kind of stuff is the ability to look at a problem and work at a logical process to to get a resolution. I think that's, you know, really important. Starting at the start and and working your way methodically through problems is is a real key for, and it's a trait that most engineers have, you know. Let me ask you about going from, you know, working as an engineer and then going into management because you've huge experience of that. At what point did that, a lot of the projects you've spoken about, was that as management or were you working as an engineer? Yeah, I suppose that large project I talked about with the with the rotor sailing, I was a commissioning engineer at that one, so not many people working for me. And it was the tail end of the job and they wanted someone to take over the lead just to finish off the sort of final few months of the job. So the machines had been working fine up to that point. Um, so I took over the lead, expecting this would just be a, a nice, easy job and uh, run down the project and then disappear. And then the, the crisis hit and I was finding myself in the hot seat with you know, company VPs ringing me up saying what's going on and how, how are, what's happening and what are you guys doing over there? And so stressful. The other thing I found is my peers weren't always entirely cooperative, you know, because I think it's one of the things when you step into management and you've been working alongside people for a while, it, it, there's a, sometimes a little bit of pushback. You know, people don't really naturally, and that was something that I, I hadn't dealt with before, you know, working with trying to get your peers to, to work with you and, and to say, okay, I've moved into the more senior position and now I'm, now I'm telling you what to do. You don't like it, but we got to keep, we, this is what we got to do. And that was something that, it was a, a steep learning curve in that sense. If you were to go back in time and talk to yourself at that younger age, what, what advice would you give yourself now? Um, I think it's, you know, along the lines of, a lot of it is about listening to people and a lot of, you know, listening to the problem Quite often people come into you, they have a problem and really they just want to talk through it. A lot of us are very solution focused, especially engineers. So we're trying to solve people's problems for them. Quite often you just have to listen and they talk themselves through the problem and they, they, they almost solve it for you while they're sitting in front of you, you know. So it's, it's not always reacting. I think that's probably what I, what I would t- teach my younger self and, and listen more and, you know, let people talk things through. Mm. It's it's like men are from Mars and women are from Venus, except it's engineers are from Mars. Yeah. Where it's like kind of if you have a problem, I'll tell you how to fix it. Exactly. <laughs> Step like, in straight away. Step yeah. in straight. So you figure listen more, and that helped you progress up the line. Okay, cool. Uh, listen, let's talk about water in Ireland because one of the things we hear about with water in Ireland is that we need to protect our water supply. Is it in danger? You look at the, even the tip, you know the last few days we've seen flooding and in, in, in Cork and that so there's an abundance of water in the country but but it comes at different times we the way we use it and the way we source it and the way we protect those sources that, that's not in a great place I mean we do we use a lot of uh, surface water a lot of river water lake water in Ireland for our for our drinking water supplies and between how we treat you know runoff how you know pesticides uh, land spreading. And also our own treatment plants for, for on on the wayside, we are contributing to to those resources not being in great condition. If you look at the, the EPA's river basin report, you know water quality has been deteriorating. So, I mean, in Air, we're working very hard to improve those wastewater treatment plants. Um, we also want to work with landowners and farmers and that to try and look at 
what's happening upstream. How, how do we treat those? How do we prevent those pesticides and nutrients, too much nutrient going into, into the sources? And it's, it's a big collaboration space. It's not something, as I say to people, it's not something that Ayashgarin can fix with concrete and pumps. You know, it's, it's, we can do a certain amount, but we need the entire community to buy into protecting those water sources. And, and I, I think water, because we have so much of it, it's not respected in, in Ireland the way if you go to drier countries, you know, water is really treated differently. So it's a case of we have the quantity, but it's the quality that you're worried about. Uh, and lots of other things are affecting water that you say that we use water from the land, as you say, from, from rivers. So we don't necessarily get a lot of our water from wells. Is that what you mean? It would be quite mixed. I mean, we've got 700 water treatment plants around the country. Everything from Ballymore Usus, which supplies most of Dublin, to, you know, a, a small well that will supply 500 people, you know, out, out in rural areas. So they're quite different. So some are wells, but the, va- the vast majority of our, our water is from surface water. So we do need to treat all, you know, to work closely on treating all that kind of stuff. The other thing is with climate change, we are seeing, you know, you're seeing deluges, but you're also seeing much drier weather as well. So it's how do we protect those sources? How do we kind of store? Storing water is difficult. We we have reservoirs in Dublin that, you know, people say, you know, why don't you make those bigger? But we have, you know, the vast reservoirs in, in Stilorgan and, and that. They will give us about 24 hours storage for the, for the city, you know. So it, building, you know, weeks of storage is, is very expensive and not really practical. That's why we're looking at, if you take Vartri or you take uh, Ulafuka, those were enormous valleys that were flooded back in, back in, you know, when you could get, when you could do that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not really practical nowadays to look at flooding valleys. It's just ecologically not a sensible thing to do, you know. So that's a challenge as well for us is protecting the sources all year round. Leaving aside rivers that flow through cities because, you know, they just look dirty, but I'm thinking of rivers that we see in the in the countryside. Is it safe to drink water directly from those rivers? No, it's rarely safe to drink water directly from, from any rivers. I mean, that's why, you know, it is expensive water treatment. We, we, we take the water out, we filter it. There's a very, not complicated, but it's, it's a laborious filtration process. Then we would also chlorinate. And quite often we add UV at the end to, uh, to really kill off all the microbes, you know. So that's why, you know, people would say, why do you, you know, why do we have shortages? But it is processing that water and, and making sure it's safe to drink is, is quite complicated and, uh, and expensive. We, you know, a lot of chemicals involved, a lot of dosing and a lot of energy in those UV systems. I'm asking a lot of silly questions because I know very little about water. But what's the difference between water then that you've processed and it's coming out of a tap and water that I buy in a bottle in a shop? Yeah, no, not much difference, actually. I, we w- I would recommend nobody drink bottled water. I mean, really, the tap water all around the country, we, the EPA test it. It's all, we regularly test it ourselves and it's, it's very safe to drink. And if it isn't safe to drink, we'll put on boil water notices and you'll see some of those coming and going in areas that... To me, that gives you the confidence or should give the public the confidence that we know what's happening with the system. So if we're saying the water is safe to drink and there's no restrictions on it, then I, I would say you should never go out and buy bottled water. Some people buy it for taste, but to be honest, I, I, I think, you know, if, if you really don't like, some people can taste the chlorine, just buy a little filter and, and you can get that taken out, uh, you know, in, in a home filter. But it's always very safe and, and good to drink. So why waste your money on bottled water? 
Yeah, and it's more environmentally friendly because you're not using plastic bottles all the time. Like, you know, it's fantastic. Um, so we have the water system within Ireland. We've got lots of it. It needs to be cleaned. One of the other problems I think that we have in Ireland is that we have a huge urban-rural divide. So you're getting water, I would imagine, often in rural areas, and then you've got to transport it to, to city areas. How does that work? Yeah, well, I suppose if you, again, if, if you take, you know, the supplies for Dublin come from Wicklow and Kildare, you know, and, and so they, and they are piped into the, into the city. If you take the Vartry example, you know, before Vartry was built, I think around 1860, the Vartry plant was built. And I, I'd recommend anyone to go out and have a look. I think it, it, you can visit it on certain times of the year, but it's really interesting. The, the Victorian engineering was superb and, and, you know, prior to that, people had been drinking, taking the water from the canals and it was filthy and, caused a lot of disease and all that kind of stuff. So this this basically is a is a filtration system. It just runs through sand beds. We've just recently we've upgraded that plant and we've put in a brand new plant. But that ran from the eighteen sixties up to you know sometime last year when it was uh, when we decommissioned it and provided a substantial amount, about twenty percent of the water for Dublin. So we do rely on rural areas providing our water and, and one of the one of the big asks we're going to be asking in the, in the near future is to take water from the Shannon, and the Shannon is to me a giant, uh, slow moving body of water. It's a giant reservoir for the country, and we will be asking asking the, the you know the people of, of on the Shannon to allow us take water from the Poolafuca, not from Poolafuca, from Parteen, and bring it up to Dublin. We'll be treating it in Parteen and, and then piping it up to Dublin. That is the plan, and we're working our way through our various permissions on that. And there is definitely uh, the city, the urban dwellers are stealing the water from, from the rural areas and we'll drain the Shannon and all that kind of stuff. Like we will take maximum about one or 2% of the flow in the Shannon. And if you've seen the Shannon flowing recently, it, it, it's a tremendous river. There's, there's plenty of capacity. But the other thing to that project will take water all the way up through the Midlands. So we will be distributing it through our rural areas and making a big difference. And what it'll also do, allow us to do is divert water that's currently been pumped into the city in Dublin we'll be able to divert some of those and pump those further south. So Vartry might start to pump further south into Wicklow and then some of the sources up in North Dublin will, will pump north. So it's a project for the Midlands and the East and it's definitely one that we hope the rural area, rural community around the Shannon where we're taking the offtake will will buy into, you know. A lot of what we're talking about is getting clean water to people. What about wastewater? What qualifies as wastewater and how is it managed? Yeah, well, you know, anything, when you flush your toilets, that's, that's obviously wastewater and going into the into the a, a fairly complex system of, of drains. And also then you've got industrial waste, so a lot of processing plants, a lot of pharmaceutical plants, all would feed into our into our networks and then they would feed into our treatment plants. So you take the the Rings End plant, which is the biggest plant we have in the country, it deals with about forty percent of the waste water in the country. That's dealing with enormous mix of, you know, chemicals, of of uh, whatever you you put down the toilet in your house and, and that's a real challenge too because we have an awful lot of stuff that's going into toilets that shouldn't go into toilets like wet wipes and, and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. They say they're biodegradable, they're not. We pull about 60 tonnes of what we call rags out of uh, the inlets of, of, of Rings End every month. It's a huge amount of waste, solid waste material that's been put into the system unnecessarily because really you should just throw it in the bin and it would make life an awful lot easier and certainly reduce our costs and, and the taxpayers are paying our costs. So in the end, you're, you'd be winning, you know. Let's talk about uh, Ishka Aaron specifically. Now, you know, we know there was a baptism of fire with Irish water. Um, what, what changed when it became, went from Irish water to Ishka Aaron? 
So Ishgairn was part of the Urvia group. So it was ourselves and Gas Networks Ireland were joined together under this Urvia banner. So now the Ishgairn banner is the new entity, it's the new national authority. It's completely standalone national authority utility for the country for provision of water. So that's the important thing. The other thing is we've signed the, the framework agreements so that the, the water s- services staff in the local authorities will come across under uh, under the Ishgairn banner. So right now we have about 30 of the 31 local authorities. The water services teams are under the management of Ishgairn staff. So it's like a merger of, of the old Irish water and the local authority staff coming together, uh, together under a new banner, the Ishgairn banner, which is the national ut- utility but, but we will have all these local operators and local people who have the local experience, the local knowledge, and we'll be bringing the national sort of bringing in the European standards, the, 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 the national drinking water tests, the wastewater tests, and, you know, working together to, 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 to make sure that the, the, the service that the communities get is, is second to none. I was going to ask you about that, because these are things that you're planning. What are the goals for Ishka Aaron over the next 10 years? So we have, we still have, we still have, you know, some plants, some sorry, some towns and villages that are are, put, are producing raw sewage in, into sea or the river. The the aim is to get rid of those in the next couple of years. Most of those have plans in place, and we will be getting, uh, we'll have ninety five percent of those reduced. By, I think by the end of twenty twenty five. So that's the end of raw sewage going into either the sea or or lakes. That's a that's a huge goal. The other one we have, we do issue boil water notices on occasion, and there's some long-term boil water notices that are very frustrating for people. And we are our aim is to get rid of all of those. We still may have some temporary boil water notices if there's an interruption in the plant or a breakdown or, or extreme weather events. But ideally, we would take the vast majority of people off boil water notices. We have a project called the National Water Resources Plan, which is basically has gone around and studied every single resource in in the country. And that has been a, a huge exercise. And we've looked at sort of the resilience of those sources, what's going to, what climate change is going to do to them um, and the impacts, you know, what's the, that area going to develop? Is it going to grow? And that's been a huge study. It's been open for consultation. People have fed into it. And that's our plan for what we're going to do with drinking water over the next 25 years. So that is to improve drinking water, get a very reliable source, provide more where there's growth and, and make sure that, that, you know, the likes of Dublin can continue to grow and, and other urban areas continue to so All of the projections are the population is going to keep growing in Ireland. You mentioned uh, climate change and, you know, we are seeing it very real as, uh, you know, kind of the weather that we've had this this year. We've had a glorious June and then the opposite in July. <laughs> we've had floods kind of coming into the winter and, and, and stuff like that. Is climate change like something that you take very seriously? Yeah, we, we, we take it very seriously. One, from a sustainability point of view. So we're trying to make our, we, we are one of the biggest consumer of, consumers of energy in the public sector. I mean, I think we're second to the HSE only. That's because we, we use a huge amount of pumps and processes to actually process the drinking water and the wastewater. So we have a huge energy bill. And so we're trying to reduce that. We're trying to take our energy from more renewable sources. But also we're seeing the impacts of climate change on our plants. So those very heavy rains on the drinking water plants what you get is a lot of turbidity in the water, which is you know, a lot of solids are mixed up in the water. A lot of, if you imagine heavy rain going into river, it churns up everything that's in the in the in the riverbed and in the lake in the lakes. So it makes our plants work an awful lot harder. So they they some of them are can can struggle when we get those heavy rain events. But probably the biggest factor is is the um, on the wastewater side. What we have in in the, the original designs and, and most of Europe has the same thing. Is we've got combined stormwater and wastewater drains. So in the vast majority of housing estates in Dublin, 
the water that comes off your roof goes into the, the wastewater system. And the, the water that goes in, off the road goes into the wastewater system as well. So when you get heavy, heavy rains, the wastewater system gets overloaded and we have what are called stormwater overflows. So rather than the water coming up through manholes, which is what would happen if we didn't have these, you have these overflows that allow the sewage, very dilute sewage, to go out into rivers or rivers or, or directly into the sea through these overflow pipes. And that's one of the challenges that we're having where we're getting these more heavy deluges. And you can see it where people are talking about bathing water quality and all that kind of thing. It's very, people are becoming much more conscious because we're swimming all year round. I actually swim all year round myself. So I'm in Dublin Bay, so I'm very conscious of the issue. But as climate change and as we get those more heavy event, rainfall events, that is becoming a more acute problem. But to separate the two systems is a multi-billion euro problem project. And I don't think we're, we're a long way from doing that. So what we've got to do is try and work with people upstream to sort of reduce those deluges, reduce the, you know, maybe put in those stormwater butts in your house so that you can collect a certain amount of water before it starts overflow. Instead of putting in tarmac or cobble lock, put in gravel. Those kind of, we're working with the local authorities to see if we can allow more of that water to soak into the ground because as soon as it hits hard surfaces, it's straight into the drains and straight into the stormwater and that leads to the, to the overflows. And when you're talking about big, massive projects like that, you need professional problem solvers, da-da, engineers. What role do engineers play in the operation of Ishka Aaron? Yeah, look, we're a very engineering-heavy organisation. There's enough, you know, between operations. You've got our construction side and our construction delivery side. There would be a lot of engineering design. And upstream of that, you'd have an asset management team that would be looking at where do we need to invest? What kind of equipment do we need to put in? Then you have delivery and then you have operations all full with engineers. A lot of scientists in there as well, a lot of environmental people. So really, we, we have an awful lot of engineers. It's a great place for engineers to, to work. At. I mean, for me, it's a fantastic uh, area to work. You're delivering water for 4 million people a day and you're taking their wastewater away. It's a, quite a fulfilling job. You know, it's, it's, it's a great place to work, but it's also very innovative, a lot of exciting stuff going on. So for engineers, I think we took 50 graduates in this year, not all engineers, probably about 20 engineers, but it is a good place to, to get experience and, and to grow and learn. What kind of skills uh, make an engineer stand out in this particular sector? Uh, I do think, I think problem solving skills, but I think you also need to be able to work with the community. We're, we're very much, you know, a, a people facing business. You know, when you're out there solving problems or if there's leaks or people are having discolored water, it's good for you to have a bit of rapport, a bit of uh, the, the ability to talk to customers and to explain in layman's terms what are the issues because people don't really understand what, you know, why you were having a burst or why is the water gone? And when your water goes to your house, it's a, it's a big deal, you know. It's it's there's a lot, a lot of stuff you can't you can't do now. Most houses are supposed to have a you know you have your water tank in the attic and you're supposed to have about twenty four hour storage. But regulation of plumbing isn't always great in Ireland, so sometimes when when the water runs out in the mains, people have problems immediately with uh, you know showers and sinks that are fed from the mains. So again, explaining those kind of situations to people is 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 useful. So a bit of rapport, I think, as well as being a good engineer. If an engineer is listening to this today and they're kind of thinking, I want to get in on some really big projects and this sounds like, you know, very enticing, what kind of training should they have had up until this point or maybe what kind of continuous career development should they be looking at to be part of Ishka Aaron? Yeah, I, I, I look, I don't think there's, we'll, we, we, we have a lot of civil engineers, but we'll take mechanical, electrical. Uh, it's the engineering discipline, the way you think is, is the most important thing. I think ability to change and be flexible, I think that's going to be really important going forward, you know, that you 
we're not solving. Innovation, as I've said to my own people, innovation is, is difficult because the easiest thing for us to do is build the equipment we built last week because we know it works and, and we've delivered that. So trying to innovate, trying to change. So it's, it's tricky. So we want people who coming in who are, you know, entrepreneurial and, and will think differently. And if we ask them to, to work differently and they'll, they'll uh, and, and change the way they're doing stuff, that's what we want, you know. But I had something very similar when I went into RTE first because I was entrepreneurial or uh, in as the words of my manager, I was a troublemaker. Um, and you always have this with a very large organisation and people who've been there for decades and done things in certain ways. You're saying you want people to come in and shake that up a little, but it's kind of hard to do. So... What's the reality of joining a really large organization and actually being able to have new ideas that you have being implemented? Yeah, look, a lot of it is because we have to do our day-to-day job and we have to deliver that water every day. Let's, innovation can be tricky, but we are driving, like our sustainability program is driving a lot of innovation. We're looking at, you know, solar panels on the roofs of buildings and that kind of stuff. We're also looking at, you know, things like biodiversity. So we want to put in more you can put in what they call a constructed wetland, which is where you actually create excuse me, a wetland that the wastewater flows through. So there's no concrete, there's no pumps, there's no filters. It just literally goes through reed beds very slowly. And they're amazing for wildlife. They're amazing for, for plant life. Um, I, they suit populations of around 1,000 to 2,000. So small villages, that kind of stuff, they, they're not really scalable beyond that. But when you get those the right factors, they're great. And for engineers, that's a real change in mindset because we love pipes and pumps and, and concrete, you know what I mean? So, and, and tell them that you, you're putting in a bunch of plants there and, and uh, you've got to pick the right plants. That's an anathema to some engineers, but it, it, it is it is the way we need to start thinking of a mix of solutions, you know? So innovation is is something that we, we're working very hard on. And to me, it's looking at pilot projects and getting those to work and demonstrating them and then moving on. So I think you can, it is you know, you you can become institutionalized, but I, right now Ishkaren is is quite dynamic. We've got a really good we've got really good teams of people who are working to change things, and we've got such a such a demand ahead and so much work to do that we have to be innovative. Like one of the things I'd love to see is how do we fix pipes from the inside because we we can't keep digging holes at the rate we're doing, and we've sixty four thousand kilometers of drinking water pipe around the country. So how can we possibly maintain that um, by continuously digging up? and ripping out up pipes, we need to do somehow, somehow work from the inside and, and, you know, through tunneling or through whatever it is. And I don't know the solution, but somebody has to come up with that for me. And, and that's stuff we'd like to work on, you know. So you're looking for people who are coming up with new ideas and there is a fostering of new ideas within the organisation. Outside of the organisation, you mentioned before to bring Irish uh, drinking water up to EU standards. Are you getting innovation from in the EU and elsewhere in the world as to the quality of water and how we can do things better? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's lots of stuff going on and we do, we do try and get, you know, talk to suppliers and, and see who's, who's innovating and, and what's working. So yeah, all around Europe and around the world, there are there are people with with clever ideas. There's a lot of clever stuff around. There's an awful problem with leakage in the in the drinking water networks. We're at about thirty six percent nationally as far as the leakage rate, which means a third of our water is going to waste. You know, which is a huge problem. But in in Europe, the standard, you know, the norm would be around twenty percent, which is still very high. So as water becomes more and more precious, and and the cost to make it becomes more and more expensive looking at leakage and looking at clever ways to fix leakage is, is a real industry and there's some really good stuff going on there like 
things like acoustic loggers where you put, you literally listen to the pipes and see where the leaks are and, and that kind of stuff, you know. So it, there's a lot of clever stuff, a lot of smart metering, smart networks, they call them, where you kind of, you, you, you know exactly what's happening. We're a little bit away from that, but we're working towards getting those smart networks moving. So a lot of clever technology there as well. It's not just all, uh, you know, dick and holes in the ground. There's <laughs> more to it than digging holes. I love it. No, it does. It sounds like there's a lot of innovation going on. There's a lot of change going on internally and, and a lot of modernization which is going on and big problems which needs to be solved, which is fantastic. Do, do you think, uh, as you say, you're very engineering heavy. Do you think you're going to be taking on more engineers in the immediate future? Definitely, yeah. I mean, we're crying out for engineers at the moment. So we, we have a huge recruitment program going on. As part of our the transformation, you know, the, the Ishgare and Transformation Program, we call it, one of the challenges we have is with our own teams and with the local authorities, a, a lot of, there's a lot of gray hair. I mean, I have it myself, but there's a lot of people approaching retirement. So we knew we need a new batch of, of people coming through to, to learn from the existing people, but also take over, you know, the operations and the, the construction of those sites. So yeah, we're definitely, uh, we need, we need graduates, we need young engineers who have, with a few years experience and, and even more senior engineers. So across the board, we're looking for, for engineers and scientists and accountants and, a lot of uh, there's a lot of hiring going on in our in our industry, and the other area we're looking at is is uh, apprenticeships and technicians and those kind of skills that we want to bring in more of as well. You know, let me pull out and look at the bigger bigger picture because Ishka Aaron is just one of the as you say. You know, we've got power, we've got water, we've got the road networks and everything. Where does Ishka Aaron's role sit in the? in building infrastructure to support the national economy. Yeah, look, I, I, our friends in, in Northern Ireland water say uh, there's no no cranes without drains. <laughs> so we have an abundance of water, like I said at the start. So we should be able to attract industry that needs water. And a lot of a lot of industries are very water heavy, but we need to make sure the infrastructure is there to support that. So I think going forward, that is going to be an area, you know, as we maybe our, our tax benefits may not be as strong, our, our natural resource of, of water will will be a, a big selling point for the country. So definitely, I think that'll be a good point. But the reality is like, you know, Dublin City, without that water supply from the Shannon, towards the end of the decade or early in the next decade, we'll be saying to people, we can't, t- you can't build any more houses. We can't, you can't, we've no more capacity for industry. Dublin is full as far as the, you know, that we're taking 40% of the flow of the Liffey is, is being used by Dublin City. We're taking forty percent of the river itself to for drinking water and process water, so that is not sustainable. We need a, we need an alternative supply. But you know, how can you tell people that Dublin is is stopped growing? That's just not a practical. That's just not practical. You know, I mean, people talk about you know diverting, make you know more spatial planning, putting the the jobs in in other parts of the country. But Dublin is not competing with Cork and Limerick. Dublin's competing with Frankfurt and Birmingham, and you know, not not necessarily Paris, but places like that that that's where the competition that that's where we need to make sure that when we're when we're growing or when when we want to attract industry or people into jobs that uh, that we have a, a place that they can they can get a house or they can that the industry can come in and they'll they'll operate well with the water you know Finally, Niall, to wrap up the podcast today, I want to veer off into career progression and development because you've done very well starting off from, you know, kind of DIT and then going up into into big projects and then going into management. For people who are listening and they're kind of thinking, I want to go more towards the top, what lessons have you learned yourself that kind of helped you move 
up the ladder, as it were. Yeah. Look, you move from, I think the move from engineering, from being an engineer where you're kind of designing something or you're installing something or fixing something to moving into management, that's a big change in your in your head. You, you almost, you have to stop solving people's problems for them. So, you, you know, you might, as a, as, a, as a more senior engineer, you might immediately say, okay, I know that guy's problem and I couldn't I, I tell him the answer. But actually, that's the wrong thing to do. First of all, you don't have the capacity anymore because you've got lots of other people reporting to you. So you need people to, to solve problems themselves or to, to work themselves. So it's actually stepping back from the engineering side of things and, and becoming a team leader or showing the leadership. That's, that's a big transition. And I think that's something that people should learn. And it's, it's hard to do because if, you're, if you've got a technical specialty or you, quite often we promote people based on their expertise and, and the fact that they were a brilliant engineer, they become a, then become a manager. That doesn't necessarily translate to being a great manager of people, you know. So it's, it's learning those, that skill of, of how to manage teams and how to step back a little bit yourself and not solve the problems, but help the team solve the problems, you know. And when was the first time you realised that? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I was up on a project in, in Finland, probably in one of my early projects, and, and there were, you know, there were problems with the, with the machine. And I was stepping in too early with the commissioning engineer, trying to solve the problem for him. And rather than, and, and at the same time, there, there was other problems having, you know, other, other issues happening that I missed uh, because I was kind of doing the other thing. I was going around actually redoing wiring and things of like that, you know what I mean? Because, I, you know, I felt that was more capacity, but it wasn't really the management thing that I should have been doing. I should have been looking at issues that were happening and issues around cost and all that kind of stuff that I had probably missed as well. So from the commissioning point of view, everything went great. But from a budget point of view, we uh, we didn't do quite as well. So that was somewhere, that was a, an area where I kind of learned the lesson. Now, it wasn't, there wasn't huge losses or huge money, but it was kind of, you know, don't get into the detail, you know. It, it is a huge change in mindset where you're using your experience and your skill. And obviously you could be a very talented engineer to not solve all the people's problems, but to help use all that experience you have to help them figure out whatever the problem is or to point them in the right direction. It's a, it's it's quite a thing, but it's worked very successfully for you. So congratulations on, on all of your success. Also, thank you, Niall, for a fascinating interview today. I mean, it really has been eye-opening as to the whole operation of Ishka Aaron and the amount of things you have to do and the scale of it and the amount of engineers you have in there uh, as well working with it. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and just sharing a little bit of time telling us everything. Great. Thanks, Dusty. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. If you'd like to find out more about Nile and some of the topics we talked about today, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes area of your player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and exclusive advanced episodes of our podcast at engineersireland.ie. Our podcast today was produced by dustpod.io. If you'd like more episodes, do click the follow button on your podcast player so you get access to all of our past and future shows automatically. On the next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening.